This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight we have Mr. Red Pill Junkie. Buenas noches. And Super Inframan. Hello, hello. Also known as Saxon. Also known as Saxon, but not the bear. Dressed in denim and leather. (laughs) Uh, So tonight's going to be a Wandering the Road episode. There's a couple of random things we're going to talk about. Um, And the first thing we're going to do is I had one more AMA question from patrons. (laughs) Uh, and it was asked after we recorded the show. So, and it's a good question. So what is one of your favorite tales or anecdotes of high strangeness from any area of the paranormal? The more absurd, the better. Mm. Yeah. It's a hard question, but it's also a really good question. That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Trying to think what, what would be mine? Um, some of mine are, are probably some listener stories like, the people who saw like cartoon characters, yes, you know, like Bugs Bunny peeping its head over the back fence, or um, this uh, what was it? They they were walking along, they looked back and they saw like the Scooby Doo gang or something, <laughs> and then turned and looked again and saw aliens, or and then turned and looked again and saw people, and they were like, "What is happening?" You know, the along those lines, uh, the ones that fascinate me like that too are like where people see their toys get up at night you know when they were little and like put on shows for them yep yeah i i think it was a listener story where they talked about like a sort of muppet type character that would come out of their closet yes and that what's really interesting about that to me is like i can totally visualize that in whatever that feeling is of that makes a lot of sense to me too like Cause it doesn't seem strange at the time, but when you go older, you're like, man, that was really weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Red pill. Anything come to mind for you? I have, I mean, I have so many, uh, beloved high strangeness stories. You know, when it comes to UFOs, one of my favorite stories is obviously Joe Simonton. Oh, yeah. His space pancakes. I just love that story because it's so incongruous. Well, that, that, it's so down to earth. It's just, he's very matter of fact about the whole thing. This is what happened. They gave me pancakes. Want one? Yeah. Yeah. They asked for water and I asked for the pancakes in return, you know, for exchange. Yeah. And, and the thing that then, uh, ballet, uh, extracted from it, uh, when it was revealed after the, the, one of the pancake was analyzed that it had, uh, no salt. And it kind of has a certain indirect reference to all the fairy lore uh, that says that the fairy, the fae folk, had this aversion to salt. It was some way to 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 keep them away. That is one. That's one. Uh, another yeah. one of my favorite stories. It's when um, writers and authors 
meet their characters yeah. in real life. Yeah. You know? There's a story of Alan Moore encountering John Constantine uh, on, on two occasions, I think, at least. Yeah, that comes one up a lot the, on this show. Yeah. 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 And one of them, and one of the times, I think that Constantine approached him uh, behind his back and he's, uh, has said to him, like, I'm going to tell you the secret of magic. Like, any uh, C-U-N-T can do it, which is, like, <laughs> awesome. And the other one is, like, Neil Gaiman. I, I've read this some time ago. Uh, Neil Gaiman is, of course, the author of Sandman, mm -hmm. which is now uh, a series on Netflix, which is awesome, actually. You know, yeah, I highly recommend it, it. And one of the characters in that series is uh the devil the, the devil coronson mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. actually part of uh, i mean it's not something that that gaiman actually invented out of thin cloth you know it's a, it's part of uh, all these uh treaties and 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 and, and ancient books that depicts all these menagerie of uh, demons that are you know that are part of uh you know have been, have, have been invoked by by uh sorcerers and 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 magicians all across the the, the time and the, sto the story goes that gaiman was in this hollywood this halloween party uh, and this guy approached him and said and said to him do you have a light and gaiman lent him his lighter and he noticed that the guy seemed to have like two sets of mouths yeah. one below the other and he said oh you know probably thought of oh, stuff a very cool very well done uh, mask. And he said to him, oh, that's a nice mask you, you're wearing. And the guy said to him, it's not a mask. I'm, I'm Coronson. <laughs> <laughs> and Gaiman was like, probably like, okay, I don't know, maybe he had been drinking, maybe he was under the influence of another substance. And the devil asked Gaiman, am I coming back? And Gaiman was like, what? What, what do you mean? And, and Coronson said, Am I going back to the story? Am I going to go back to the to the comic book, which Gaiman was still writing? And Gaiman was like, uh, "Well, I don't know. Like you were just like a minor character uh, in in one of the stories. I, I hadn't planned to it. Uh, well, I had this idea about uh, another time in which uh, this, we will take the, the the main character back into the hell." And the devil said to Gaiman, "Okay." That's when I'm going to go come back. So will people will not forget about me. You will do yeah. this for you know. Don't forget. And Gaiman yeah. will like okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that stuff is awesome. Um, and it, that story, that particular one, is retold somewhere, and I, I can't remember the location, but I've got it posted on my Instagram account where someone illustrated it. Yes. From, yes. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, it, that one is, is is probably my favorite one of those encounters. Two of the other people who worked on Constantine after more more recently also have ran into him, which is a really interesting that that's a recurring event. It wasn't something that's just happening to more. Um, Almost like there's a tulpa. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, of course, exactly. you know, like like uh, Corozon saying, "So people won't forget about me." You know, it's it's kind of the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the one that I always love with that is um, Maxwell Grant that wrote all of the shadow pulp novels. Yes. You know, and, and Grant was literally one of the most prolific 
published writers ever. I mean, he put out so much material so quickly. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, Google him, look it up. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like he was publishing massive amounts of material. And he lived above a pub for a while and uh, would just be writing, you know, basically 24-7 because he was, you know, that kind of like crazy focused. And the shadow started appearing in the pub. And supposedly people still see him out of the corner of their eye in that place. And uh, you can imagine, you know, this guy putting so much intention and being so focused all the time on this character, sort of generating, you know, the, the tulpa of the shadow in that place where he worked. Um, yeah. Just fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, one story I, I want to throw in with this, too, that I always like to go back to is uh, y'all know Sam, the, the Sandown Clown? I don't know that. It was uh, a really weird alien encounter, maybe. The the entity in it looks kind of like a clown, though. Mm. And it was a group of kids that ran into him. Mm. And he uh, it was in Sandown, England. And he had mm. them come on board his ship and like talk to them. But the weird things with the ship were like, he would go to operate buttons and things like that, but there were just drawings of the buttons oh. on. Yeah, yeah, you know, or like stickers, basically. And so there's a lot of this sort of, you know, real and not real at the same time going on or things standing in place of real things. It just mm -hmm. makes the whole uh, experience sound incredibly creepy, uh, almost as if like the clown from it decided to like pretend to be an alien for an afternoon. Yeah. And also this idea of the, the Looney Tune character, you know, I know, I don't know why like Coyote, like drawing uh, this image of a tunnel on a, on a rock. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like that. you know, the roadrunner actually going through the rock, the, 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 the drawing, you know, right. because the, the laws of, of, of physics don't apply when imagination is involved. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, those are some of my favorite sort of high strangeness things where the stuff that doesn't make sense are there. And you have to consider like, you know, why, why does it work uh, in one instance? But, you know, for you and I, it would just be a sticker on a piece of plastic. Right. You know, and not a real button no. or a real switch. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That, that's sort of like some of the uh, encounter stories, RPG that you shared with Josh where the guy, the deceased relative showed up with the, uh, the aliens visiting like the daughter and the mother and the, right, the right, dad right. that was with them that had been dead for three years. Yeah. I mean, that's just wild. You know, and they came walking out of a lake, I think in like space suits, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like, none of this makes sense. It doesn't fit any kind of paradigm that we have for what we think of. As, no, it's like well, dream imagery. No, yeah. Yeah. Dream imagery, but also, well, it doesn't fit our paradigm, but certainly fits the paradigm or other cultures. I mean, this is true. we all have all the, yeah, all these legends of the lady in the lake or the connection between the fae folk and, and water. Yeah. You know, that's it's almost, uh, and but nowadays uh, it's been, I don't want to say perverted, but it's definitely been adapted or twisted into, uh, to fit our preconceptions. So now we have all these ideas about, oh, when, whenever we see a UFO like plunging into a lake or uh, going into the ocean, not like one of the latest episodes of Netflix Unsolved Mysteries talks about these very interesting UFO sightings happening on, on uh, Lake Michigan, Michigan, 
in the, I don't know if it was in the late 1990s, I think it was in the early 2000s. And some people actually saw like a big column of water, you know, with Uh sound like, sounded almost like a giant uh, washing machine operating. And uh, the notion is that the water was being extracted by, by the UFO. And so now people have this conception that, oh, there must be some kind of like alien base <laughs> within the, 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 the bottom of the lake, or maybe the, the aliens go after the, the water of the lake because, I don't know, they need uh, fresh water for some reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there was also this, need, this uh, uh, article that I just linked to the Daily Grail about this uh, port city in Mexico, in, in the state of Tamaulipas, I think the, the city is uh, Madero. They believe that there is an alien base uh, in, in, in the ocean next to their, their town, and the base somehow protects them from hur- hurricanes. You huh. know, the aliens divert the hurricanes just when it go- it's going to hit the town. So it's it's now it's it's a modern myth. It's and something that is being you know I guess probably maybe uh, because it's something of a joke, but it seems to have been widely embraced by the townsfolk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Wow. Mm. I also had oh man, I am I'm sitting here trying to remember his name. I had a guest on that had some really weird Bigfoot experiences, mm-hmm. uh, but they seemed like they were actually time shifts. And oh, and he does some really cool art too. And I can't. I'm terrible with names, and I'm not remembering his name. And I'm looking for it right now, trying to to find it. But it definitely was up there in the high strangeness stuff. Um, but I am. I know I sent the show to a friend of mine, and I'm, and of course, there's so many different things I could have used to to send messages. That I'm kind of like, all right, which messaging thing did I use? <laughs> which platform? Yeah. <laughs> like I think it was Facebook. No, it's not on Facebook. Uh, okay. Because it was just, it's one of my uh, favorite listener story. Because he came on and talked about the whole thing, and it was just nuts. But I am not finding it, and I can't remember his name. I'm sorry if he's listening. Because, uh, yeah, if I figure it out here during the show, I'll, I'll tell you in a bit. All right, but cool. I, I am lacking it at the moment. Damn it, that's really frustrating. And I don't even know what to search under on uh, the the website because I can't remember his name. Yay me! <laughs> what can you can you share with us some of the particulars of the story? Well, it's like he was getting like his friend goes out into the woods and gets freaked out because he hears him calling for him, which then happens a little bit later, and a lot of stuff like that, like they feel like something rushing past them while they're walking mm-hmm. down the train tracks. And then the, I, I guess they heard a train a little bit uh, after that, and they realized, oh, that that was what we heard type of thing. Like, everything was seemed to be out of sync. Like, they were having these experiences. Uh, oh, interesting. That's, that's very interesting. And then he yeah. had a, had an additional one outside of that whole experience because he was associating it with Bigfoot at the time. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm going, but it sounds more like you're just out of sync. Like you're, ex- you're experiencing these, these events, but they're not, uh, you know, they're not, they're not happening like you think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I can probably, I don't know. I have this, uh, idea, uh, it's a fantasy, well, really it's not something that I, you know, 
really believe is something that I like to play with mentally in my head. Uh, taking seriously for a minute all uh, the story of uh, Lazar, you know, that uh, Bob Lazar, and the idea that, yeah, well, maybe this, there's someone who has one of these flying saucers in a hangar uh, somewhere. And maybe once in a while, they'll try to turn on the machine. But every time they turn on the machine, like the fabric of reality gets distorted. You know, like, okay, let's try, the, let's make a taste for the, 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 the turning the machine. Oh my God, 9-11 happened. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason why they didn't, they, they have the, the thing, but they never dare to actually use it because they don't know what, what's going to happen if they, they actually turn it on again. Um, Alex Whitcomb, that was his name. Okay. So it was quite a few years ago he was on, but his story was just so weird and uh, I really loved it. Mm. And plus it seems to be playing around with time. You know what, even though yeah. he, he wasn't looking at it like that, which to me also, um, made his story even more believable. I mean, I believed him anyway, but when I realized mm -hmm. that the common denominator was time and he wasn't looking at it as, as, as that, you know, ah. said even more that, you know, okay, this is not saying he's making up, you know, I generally believe the people I have on for the most part. Anyway, there's only been once or twice where I've been like, mm, I don't know. Okay. But then again, I wasn't there, so I yeah, can't well, really truly, say. You know, the reason why, why maybe we feel we, we don't get all of these, we, we are so stumped by the UFO phenomenon and other paranormal events is because we don't understand how time works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That is exactly it. Mm -hmm. We don't understand how any of this stuff works. Let's be let's yeah. be fair. You yeah. know, I, I was listening to uh, Whitley talk about. I'm trying to remember. There were he and Jeff Kripal were at a conference. Oh, they're they're Isla, and they were sharing a room. Oh yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. you heard it. Go yeah, and, and they get into the idea of like you know, in, in the middle of the night, like Jeff felt like you know, like reality was caving in around him. Yeah, and you know, Whitley was like, "That's what happens." You know, or at least that's what I think happens when the visitors come and take us out of time. That's how we perceive being pulled out of it. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's right. Right, Red Red Pill? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, Jeffrey said when, when he felt it, something like, oh, God, oh, God, because, you know, yeah. it was an emotional reaction. Yeah, like, obviously, trying to put this into words is impossible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think that you you just said it. Yeah, like he, he felt himself out of out of himself, not as an OBE, but uh, something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, if that's the the case, like if that's really what happens from our perspective, if you were to get pulled out of time, it just mm -hmm. tells you like how stuck in it we are. Um, you know, we we can talk about things that understand time better than we do, that can move backward and forth in it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's still so far beyond us that I, I don't even know if we'll ever be able to understand it. You know, uh, we we can try, but, you know, it, it's uh, this is so cliche, but it's like, you know, an ant trying to figure out what a computer is. Right. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just we, we just may never have the capacity for it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah. that's very yeah, true. Right. 
So that show was is labeled Shadow People, Time Slips, and High Strangeness. Or I'm sorry, Shadow People, Time Slips, High Strangeness, and more. I re- I'll put it up on August 2nd, 2020. Okay. So if anyone wants to check that out. He also does some really awesome art with Driftwood. Um, oh, cool. mm. And he's on Facebook as Drifted Creation. So he creates like monsters and stuff out of Driftwood, and he's incredibly talented that's cool that up cool but if if you haven't heard that show that's well worth going back and listening to because it was some really bizarre stuff Mm. uh and oh yeah i have to go back and listen to that and some weird synchronicity is all (laughs) as well yeah i I love everything with shadow people um i'm always kind of fascinated by that because it seems like such a common experience yeah the, uh, I was driving the other day and I'm like, I see something moving across the road. And I used to see shadows, like almost like the size of small animals dart across the road. And I haven't seen it in a decade or two now. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I saw one the other day. I'm like, oh, I just saw a shadow move. Oh, no, that's just a black cat. Never mind. Because <laughs> nah. it was just black. There was completely black. It was dark out. All I saw was it blotting out the light. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Never mind, just a cat. Well, somebody shared on Twitter not too long ago uh, a video taking, I don't know where, I think it was England somewhere. Uh, and I think that the, what, they want, what they were trying to show in the video was something called the Bracken effect or something. Uh, I think it's something that happens when there are the right conditions of uh, light and mist uh in a in in a, in a mountainous area that create almost like a shadow in uh right in the middle of of, of your of, of your vision you know mm-hmm. it, it almost like a the shadow of a person walking next to you mm-hmm. okay and they and the video shows it so clearly and it is really creepy you know, because obviously there there's apparently a scientific explanation for this effect uh some type of I don't know illusion of, of, of or, or call it a mirage, a shadow mirage. Yeah, but it's definitely disturbing. You know, if you saw something like that and you are all alone, you will definitely think that you know you, there's some kind of like a ghost following you. Oh sure, yeah. I uh, and dusk can really play with you too. I had come over a hill on a road just around dusk, so everything was mildly. You know, you could still kind of see, but it was getting kind of shadowy. Yeah. And uh, there was this woman riding a horse, and she blended color-wise completely into the horse. Oh, weird. Ooh. So as I came up over the hill, I'm like, that is a really tall person with a lot of <laughs> What am I looking at? And I'm like, oh, it's a woman on a horse. Okay. <laughs> For an instant, my brain said, Bigfoot? Is that a Bigfoot? No, no not a Bigfoot. Uh, just, just a woman uh, on a horse. Yeah. Huh. Then I'm like, my dash cam's on, right? Okay, I'm going to go back and look at that. When I looked at it in the dash cam, I'm like, yep, it totally d- it looks like one thing at first. And then as I get closer, you can see that it's a horse. Yeah, of course. But now, the- imagine if, if it was the first time you saw a horse. I mean, this is the right. idea that uh, uh, the Aztecs, when they, when they first encountered the Spanish conquistadors riding their horses... They really didn't understand what they were looking at, you know. They, were right, so, right. they saw them as a a single creature, you know, with with uh, four legs and 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 two arms. Yeah, yeah. But weren't there horses in North America at one point? 
Yeah, but by the time the the Spanish came, they were all extinct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, they were they were like the the early early. They were the megafauna, probably that got ex- uh, extinguished at the end of the ice age. Yeah, they, yeah they were supposedly the extinguished by the by the comet. Yeah. By the comet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was the, it was the meltdown. See, I, th- I think there's two events there. I think there's the comet that caused the younger Dryas and a some kind of plasma event that that melted the the ice very quickly. I think that Ram Hancock now is talking about two comet strikes. Oh, yes, I th- he has been for a while. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's also evidence of plasma. That's why I go with the second one being a plasma thing because okay. the secondary comet, comet strike would just cause, I would think another nuclear winter type situation. Yeah. Presumably, or, or I don't know, depending, I guess where it's struck. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, shock goes with it being an outburst from the sun, which I mean, th- what's interesting to me is the fact that you have all these ancient cultures who have, glyphs that are plasma formations right right and, right and you have numerous cultures around the world that all have these same exact glyphs which mm-hmm. means they saw mm-hmm. these things which means there was some kind of massive plasma outburst and the only ones they didn't record are the ones that would have killed them to see <laughs> yeah because there's like six that if you saw them in real life like from a solar outburst you would be dead as soon as you saw them mm-hmm. yeah so, I mean, to me, there's something to that. It doesn't mean it happened then. It could have happened at another point in time, but it's certainly a contender for what would have wiped out the the ice really fast. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, I, I, had, I had posted this, and I thought it kind of makes an interesting conversation piece. I had this dream I recorded back in uh, September. Hmm. And I am going, I'm just going to read it because it's, it's more of a story than anything else. But like when I read back, I was, I was putting this into my journal and went, this is actually interesting. So I, I said, I had a dream that I was watching an exchange between the devil and various people. The devil was quite elegant and really wasn't doing anything particularly evil. Instead, he was just trying to be helpful and asking people good questions like, is this what you really want? And why are you doing that? A whole situation Mm. broke out between him and the police who were looking for him simply because he was the devil. He was explaining to another guy that he hadn't actually done anything wrong. They just wanted him because he was the devil. He helped this guy and helped him escape the police because they were now looking for him too because he was with the devil. Uh, In the end, the devil got one cop to go in the wrong direction by playing some misdirection games, but the other cop confronted him right outside the building where the cops lived. Instead of arresting him, the devil helped him bring in his groceries. And the cop was starting to realize his mistake when his wife came home, and she was furious that the devil was there. She was telling the cop that she was going to leave him and that uh, that was it. They were done because this guy had a sketchy past. The devil then went through everything that happened since they had walked into the building and how he had mostly just helped the guy put his groceries away. And just because he's the devil doesn't mean he's evil. Uh, exactly. he, just, he just wants people to be happy. And sometimes that makes other people unhappy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I. I always have fun with the idea that, you know, if if we're in a situation of Christianity with the devil and the contemporary idea, I'm like, well, that kind of means he works for God. <laughs> right. You know? uh, well, that's the idea. Yeah, that's the, the origin of the of the character. You know, yeah. it's, uh, if, you, if you read the Old Testament, the, the 
the story of Job. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It starts with the devil walking into into the court of God, you know, in the heaven, and he yeah. is being greeted by the other angels, and nobody tells tells him, you know, what what the hell are you doing here? And and God asks the devil, you know, have you been on earth? Yes, and and I've seen. Uh, you know, Job and and he's prosperous, but I wonder if 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 he will be uh, so respectful of you if if his luck changed. And that's when uh, God and the devil, uh, you know, they draw they they they, they play this wager. You know, yeah. To see yeah. if if Job's uh, faith and respect to God will will be uh, faltered. You know, if if calamity fell on him, and uh, well, that's the story and. I don't know, uh, sorry, I, I don't know if you've either, ever seen this uh, Netflix series, Lucifer. No. It's interesting. I mean, I, I love it because it's 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 a, it's a silly comedy, uh, almost like a romantic comedy uh, of uh, Lucifer, like taking a vacation in Earth because he's he's tired of, of ruling over hell. Uh, and he actually goes and, uh, and uh, becomes the partner of this uh, female uh cop in los angeles and you know? so they go and solve crimes and all of that but one of the things that is interesting is one one of the powers that lucifer has is whenever he confronts uh, a person he can ask them what is their deepest desire you know mm-hmm. what is it that you truly want you know? and then some of like some kind of like uh, uh they he gets into their heads and they 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 say the truth that, so it, what you were saying is reminded me a lot about that, uh, and also yeah, in, in one of the most interesting things about uh, the, the series is that Lucifer is not really evil. You know, he actually despises evil. That's he says. That's why I I punish the the evil ah. in hell. Yeah, it's like it's my job. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually one of the most interesting things that happens that that is said in the in the series. When he confesses or he makes the really reveals the secret that in hell there are actually no uh, locks or closed doors that the people cannot leave there because they are you know they are stuck there with their own uh, uh, torments you know they are tormenting themselves. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow! And I feel that actually you know sounds really really interesting. Probably the. Oh. What might what might happen with some people in the afterlife? You know. Oh, absolutely. I uh, what what I found interesting about the dream, though, too, is that like you know, here's the devil just asking people good questions, and a lot of times that's frowned upon in our society. Like mm-hmm. you're not supposed yeah. to question things. You're supposed to just do what you're told. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's kind of like the devil's advocate, right? It's uh, yeah. it's a way of like you need people to play the devil's advocate, but it's kind of derogatory because it's putting this sense of like you're being a burden for asking questions, you know, yeah. that are oh, yeah. might be controversial or or whatever. Yeah, uh, or, or, or questioning tradition yeah. or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching this uh, episode of New Thinking Aloud on YouTube, and there was this uh, guest. I guess he was analyzing uh, evil characters in in fiction, and he said that the, the number one common commonality in most uh, evil characters is that they are trying to deprive people from their fr- their freedom. Right. Right. They are like suppressors of of freedom. 
but the one major uh, like uh, exception to this rule is the devil himself, because in the story of the New Test, the, the, the Old Testament, the story of uh, Adam and Eve, it is the devil, the one that is trying to coax Eve to exert her free will. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it is God in, in, in this reading of, of, of the story, the one that is preventing Adam and Eve to know the difference between good and evil and, and thus preventing them to exert their free will to choose between the two of them. Yeah. Is that, do the Gnostics add on to that? Am, am I thinking right? It's the Gnostics that get into, you know, the devil is kind of a good guy. He, yeah, he's the good guy. You know, physical reality is made by the Demiurge. Yeah. Yeah. And he's trying to elevate, you know, the serpent uh, to, uh, you know, the people there to, uh, you know, a higher place uh, because, you know, God wants them controlled. Right. Or, right. or the Demiurge does. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also thought the last line, I didn't actually remember this dream at all. I, I thought the last line was interesting that, uh, what was it there? About how, you know, uh, giving, making people happy makes other people unhappy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just wants people to be happy. And sometimes that makes other people unhappy. And that's, that's really true. I mean, there is, there yeah. are people out sure. there who are extremely unhappy if other people, if certain, especially certain other people are happy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Even though it we, doesn't affect them directly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a Joseph Campbell quote about that too, where he talked about like everything is evil for somebody. True. I think that's right. Um, so just by virtue of you being happy could hurt somebody else. Well, I don't know. I mean, is is happiness a zero sum game? It shouldn't be. Then I'm not sure. I mean, like you will say, okay, not because I want to get into politics here, but no, you no. will say, uh, oh, um, so-and-so is, is, uh, is a billionaire and therefore, you know, he's happier than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's true. No, no. No, no. I, I actually think that those guys are more miserable than the rest of us. And that's why they have this craving to keep accumulating wealth because they think that uh, they have this delusion that uh, will actually make make uh, make them uh, feel better about themselves, but then it, it's never the case. And and how mm-hmm. many so sure. how many rich actors and musicians have committed suicide? Yeah, it's exactly. not it's not the money, you know. I mean, the, I mean, certainly having enough money to get by where you're not struggling is a plus. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But yeah, for sure. At the same time, it's not the be all and end all of existence. And when it becomes the be all and end all of existence for you, I think you're just kind of empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. It's like, unfortunately, money's necessary. I mean, we can't we can't really survive easily without it. Yeah. But like you, you could be homeless. Uh, it's not necessarily good for you health wise. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, ideally, you want to be able to live comfortably and make enough money to live comfortably and still have time to actually live your life and do things that, that make you actually happy. Yeah. 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 Well then, okay. Then we go into the particulars of what is comfort, you know I mean? Yeah. Maybe someone to, to have, uh, hot water and a roof under, over their, their heads mm-hmm. and have enough food in the fridge. That is enough comfort. Yeah. them yep. to feel secure and to go about to their 
to to pursue their passions and to uh, you know uh, cultivate meaningful uh, personal relationships or other people say no no i won't be i won't be comfortable until i have like i don't know a fifty thousand dollar sports car <laughs> right yeah 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 you know my requirement would be wi-fi uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know like i i can go live off the grid but i'm gonna have wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> What would you prefer? Would you prefer to have Wi-Fi or would you prefer to, to be on a cabin with 50,000 books? Ooh. Wi-Fi, because there's more than 50,000 books on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And are you going to read more than 50,000 books in your lifetime? Nope. So <laughs> so here's the caveat I would put in this is, you know, how quickly can I find what I'm trying to look up or, or read about? Um you know, and I would, you know, because we're talking about money, I would want the internet of 20 years ago before everything was monetized. <laughs> you know? yeah, but then again, why do you need the speed to all? Oh, is because it need to, I, I need to find what I'm looking for quickly. Yes. RPG. Why, why, are, you, why are you in such a hurry? I need you know, instant to- satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. You're right. I mean, there's, there is a, a a really interesting like satisfaction of taking your time and going through things. And, you know, we, we've talked about physical media on the show some and making sure that you get things in physical media, whether it's a book or a TV show or whatever. Uh, I buy a lot of stuff digitally because I read a bed at night and that is dim enough that I don't you know wake up my wife. Yeah, but I don't remember what I read a lot of times when I read things digitally. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I keep the general gist of it, but if I read something in a physical format, uh, it sticks with me. Uh, I, the specifics stand out much more, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I've just taught myself to scan things and I've just stuck there now with, uh, you know, things on an iPhone screen or what have you. Right, but, right. Yeah, I, I think the problem though too with people who have too much money is that that they they get stuck on that being their their happiness. Yeah, you know because yeah. they were in that illusion or they've been t- raised to believe this this is what makes you superior. This is what makes you happy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they they, they, they were told that they needed to win the game. Yeah, uh, but they were they were not taught what to do once they won the game. Yeah, you know what comes next, and and that's when they fire, find despair, and that's when they you know they get into you know to, into uh, cheating their wives or whatever. You know, a hundred years ago, that's why you know all these uh, uh, bored noblemen in 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 in, in England. Uh, we're joining the the Golden Dawn on all these other uh, secret societies because well maybe maybe now I can find some you know new interest in magic you know now I can yeah, find yeah. ways to smite my enemies instead <laughs> of just winning them yeah I uh, and and when it comes you know like you mentioned the sp- someone needing to be happy by getting a fifty thousand dollar sports car or whatever or five hundred thousand dollar sports car it there's there's a level of balance like. Things, mm-hmm. yeah. possessions inherently aren't bad. It's the yeah. overvaluation of those possessions. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's like my, my friend Christopher Ryan, you know, this is the guy who has the podcast Tangential Speaking. And he also wrote a book, Civilized to Death, which deals with all these 
things that we're talking about. He's, he said in one of his podcasts that a uh, uh, $100 bottle of wine tastes just as good as a $5,000 bottle of wine. Right. You know? And if you need, you actually need to buy the $5,000 bottle of wine just to, you know, to, to enjoy wine. You really don't know really what you're, what, what you're doing. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're a little lost at that point. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I met a guy uh, years ago that I, I still see occasionally and I, I'm, I'm not going to give out any specific details of him or, or anything like that, but he, he has a particular uh, historic actor that he loves and he has more money than anybody I've met otherwise. And so he will go buy stuff that belonged to this actor mm. and not even look at it. Mm. Uh, he puts mm. it in storage and you know it's just the acquiring and it's sort of like yeah 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 you're not even enjoying what you're spending all this money on like like man i could have lived for years off of what you've spent on that guy's car or or something that you know yeah and and it's all kept pristine and tucked away and you're like you're ruled by these things instead of these things being yours yes yes yeah, and it's it's weird to see. And the other interesting thing about him is I don't know if he's ever done anything on his own, mm. uh, like build a doghouse or anything like that, because he can just mm-hmm. pay people to do it. And so, you know, you, you miss out on the satisfaction of like, I did that, you know, right, because right. For you it's just you're changing the numbers a little bit on the massive number in your checking account. <laughs> Or, or whatever. There's definitely things I prefer to do myself for the satisfaction of, of figuring it out and seeing, yeah. like, am I capable of doing this? But then there's other things where I'm like, I wish I could just pay someone to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah I'm like that. Paying for convenience is a good thing. I, I told yeah, you this exactly. uh, For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to fix my AC or anything like that. Uh, I've tried. It was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't feel my masculinity bruised if I don't know how to fix something in my car or if oh, I right. don't go and uh, yeah. use my hammer. I say, well, maybe I can just pay someone you know, to do this, so I can just relax and and, and read a book. So <laughs> here's here's my fixing my AC story. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I had wall, in wall unit and I went to turn it on and it's just black over the winter. It just got black with mold inside it. Wow. And mm. I'm like, Oh, well that's going to have to go. So I'm going to have to open this up and see if I can get to all that. And they're, they're literally styrofoam inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. that's where all the, the mold was. So I had to open it up, cut the tape. I, so I took it outside, uh, cut the tape, got the whole thing apart, cleaned all the mold out as I'm doing this and spraying bleach on it. A storm is coming in and I'm going, Oh good. So I'm like blowing the bleach. The bleach is hitting me in the face. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's probably not a good thing. Okay. And and I'm like rushing, trying to get this thing clean so I can get it back in the window before this thunderstorm hits. And, uh, the thing of course, doesn't want to go back together because air conditioners are one of those things that once you take them apart, they, they don't quite fit right again. (laughs) And I'm like, duct taping the hell out of it going okay all right i think that that should do it that should, and i got it back together finally like the screw holes didn't want to hold up lightning started coming i'm like oh yeah great <laughs> and i get it back in the window just in time before the like it was already raining but then the torrential downpour hit just as i got it in the window and got everything sealed up and then it worked and it's been fine ever since 
Okay. Awesome. And I'm like, so that was an experience. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Tell me you were yeah. at least using goggles or something to protect mm -hmm. yourself. Of course not. Why would I have done that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect it to spray me in the face. It was one of those things where as I'm spraying, the wind suddenly picks up and I'm like, oh, I was bleaching my face. Okay, cool. Valgame, Dios. <laughs> like, yep, tastes like bleach. All right, great. Jeez. I mean, it was diluted. It was like one of those sprays. It wasn't pure bleach, luckily. Yeah. I did go, I did go in right away and wash my eyes out, just to be sure. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, it burns. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah, air conditioning. Yeah. But yes, I would, I would, I would rather not do that again. But hey, I did it. I was. You did do it, yeah, sure. <laughs> I fixed it because <laughs> otherwise I was going to have to buy a new air conditioner, and I didn't really want to do that. And I still have it to mm -hmm. this day; it still works. Well, I mean that that works. Then I mean that there's nothing better than when you actually repair something and it turns out to be reliable and lasts. <laughs> exactly. You're yeah, like, oh, sure. I didn't have to fix that again. Thank goodness, you know. Like, <laughs> all right, yeah. That, that's one of the first reasons I, I get somebody else to work on my car. Like, yeah, I know how to change oil. I used to do that in college, but you know what? I'll let somebody else work on my car because they're an expert at it and I'm not. Right, right. Right. It's, it, that's, the, that's the other thing. You know, I, I have friends who know how to do stuff who are experts at it. And I'd be like, I could do this. It'll take me five hours and it won't look that great. Yeah. Or I could have my friend come over. He'll do it in 10 minutes, and it'll look 10 times better than anything I could do. Yeah, and you'll trust the work more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also watch him the whole time. Be like, okay, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> mm -hmm. At one point, my mailbox uh, detached from the bridge that goes across the front ditch, and it was at a steep angle. And I'm like, trying to get like screws or something to hold it together, but I, I didn't have enough pressure to pull it together. And I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I got to get the mailbox up somehow. So I wrapped a chain around it and I kept wrenching the chain until the mailbox was sort of upright. Uh -huh. And then I just nailed the chain into the bridge. Now there you go. And when my friend came over and looked at it, he's like, that, what did you do? And I'm like, I took a chain, I wrapped it straight now. And he's like, I'm like, it's sort of straight. He's like, well, this isn't the right way to do it. I'm like, but it worked. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it achieved the purpose I needed, which is to get the mailbox straight. And then he went and did it the right way for me. <laughs> so I started reading, uh, or f briefly, uh, Kenneth Grant's Hecate's Fountain. Okay. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> I remember the things I like and don't like about Kenneth Grant. Uh, mm -hmm. This actually has one of my favorite quotes in it. Uh, which is uh, Arthur uh, Macon, Macon. I always don't know how to say his last name, M-A-C-H-E-N. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. in one of the opening pages, it says, I believe there's a perichoresis, an inter interpenetration. It is possible indeed that we three are sitting among desolate rocks by bitter streams and with what companions. Mm. So right. in here... He mentions he, he mentions a lot of connections to UFOs and the occult, which I don't remember. Like I read this book back in like '93, and uh, in doing my uh, autobiography, I, I'm up to '94 now, and I and I mentioned reading this, and it was pretty good. And I went, ah, oh, I don't I don't really remember it, but there's a couple of uh, things in here I wanted to mention, uh, if I can find them here, where he talks about. 
buzzing and uh yeah like here he talks about he's talking about chinese mythology a, a spirit similar to the chin san ku appears in the form of a toad or frog both are batrachian and if and the ophidian forms are familiar to sorcerers as totems of the deep ones and of the great old ones and and this is the stuff i don't like that he's constantly pushing lovecraft stuff in there it is worth noting here that the coup, like the UFO, seems to avoid populous areas. It lands or earths itself in deserted regions. Another similarity with UFO lore is that the occupants of some crafts sometimes abscond with various parts of the human body. The ancient Chinese were compelled to embody their observations in a magical context for want of terms to describe phenomena of extraterrestrial origin. The insistence on insect symbolism is highly significant in view of the humming sound believed to herald the proximity or advent of the old ones. Um, Interesting. It was, uh, there's a, yeah, there's yet another type of coup, KU. It was fabled to excrete gold and silver and to dart about nocturnally like lightning. A great noise causes it to fall. UFOs are also said to fall in a great rush of sound. Furthermore, it may be a snake, toad, or any other kind of insect or reptile. It is kept by its votaries in a secret room and is fed by the women. However, it is formed of pure yin, which is a figurative matter of saying that it is a vampire coup which lives on menstrual blood. Okay. It, is, it is also said in this connection the coup devours men looks who which devours men will excrete gold and that which devours women will excrete silver. Hmm. Um, there was another part to that though. That talks about UFOs. Let's see. Nope. That just goes down and eventually turns into him quoting numbers because he likes, the, what was that? I, I was going to ask what culture was that again? I, it, he just says China. Chinese. China. Okay. I thought I, I knew something like that from the Philippines, but it, well, it's, it, I, well, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. He says, cult of the coup, which originated in Southeastern Asia. Okay. Okay. Mm. Let's see. Interesting. But then he says here, um, did he say China? It, no, maybe, maybe it was Southeast Asia, but uh, how, go ahead. How they spelling coup? K-U with a little, oh, okay. uh, little, uh, it's not an umlaut. I'm not sure what it is. A little uh, mark above it uh, that's like a triangle pointing up. Oh, wow. At least in, in his, the way he's doing it. Uh, but I think this was, yeah, okay. So this was a quote from uh, Parsons. We live. Jack Parsons? Yeah. We live a symbol of what we know it is, and finally transcending the symbol, become one with it. This is the wisdom of the cavemen that we have lost. It was their sanity. The lack of it is our madness. We no longer know how to act, and having lost the symbol, we have lost the reality. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. You know, I, I really, I think this is one of the reasons I, I like chaos magic and, and sigil magic so much, because it, when I, I was doing anthropology, and I, I should clarify, I know I talk about it a lot. I did not finish my anthropology degree. I didn't finish my thesis. I ended up with a business degree because, of course. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you start looking at language and how it influences the mind and you also think about developing language, you know, it starts with symbols. And yeah. even our concept of, like, time is related to how we write. Um uh, there are certain languages that don't really have tenses to them. And there's even ones like some of the Australian indigenous languages 
are, are can kind of be all the words can be arranged in just about any order you want. And the meaning is always still there. I mean, it, it's fascinating stuff, but it tells you how much symbol is ingrained into how we operate, how we think. It's kind of like the base sure. code of, you know, our intelligence. And so it, it makes perfect sense to me that symbols have power more so than a, a word. Uh, in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Terence McKenna used to say that the world was not made out of atoms, was made out of stories. Ah, nice. You know, that's definitely true. And I once wrote something, trying to find it here, uh, uh, about how the movie Arrival, you know, was so great because oh. it talked about how, you know, was this uh, alien language yeah, that yeah. changed your per- your perception of time. Yeah. You know, wow. Because uh, so, reality is a lot more fluid than we realize. And yeah. there's actually uh, a Native American language, uh, trying to find it, uh, that actually has a different way in which they, they, they use uh, uh, or, or how they approach the, the subject of time. So the, 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 the language really changes that perfect perception. In people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's so obviously, uh, I guess one way, it will be interesting, you know, to, I don't know if it's ever been done, how one could analyze a culture by the way uh, or, or 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 the lack of of the scarcity of language or or, or or the the scarcity that their language shows when trying to to describe things like you know there's there's a typical idea that uh, Eskimos or or uh, I don't know what's the politically correct way to talk about this the the the, the, the people living in in, in oh in a way. In, the Inuits, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have like I don't know. They say like uh, fifty different words for snow. Right. Right. And in ancient Egypt, I think there's like four or five different words for describing different aspects of the of the soul. Mm-hmm. Right. There's the ka and there's the ba, and there are, there are other 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 words that describe different aspects. Like I don't know the astral body and 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 uh, the the life force of the body or whatever and meanwhile and this is something that our friend joshua kachin uh, tried to 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 approach in his latest book ecology of souls our culture only has one word for describing like uh what remains of the the person once it, the the body uh, is no longer functioning which is soul you know mm-hmm. it's yeah. Okay. It's almost like trying to go into the ocean and saying that all the creatures that are living in the ocean, you use just one word: fish. You yeah. see an octopus? Ah, that's a fish. You yeah. see a, a whale? Ah, that's a fish. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you see a, a a seal? Ah, that's a fish. You know. <laughs> you know. You, you will be if you use that approach. You will see. Well, that's a terrible. Uh, a way to try to understand, you know, the the the, the ecology of the ocean, and you say, well, that's that. Uh, how is that? We we are trying to understand the ecology of the afterlife using just one word, soul. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it, it's also how how acquainted you are with something, you know. So yeah, yeah. so to be an Inuit, and I don't think they actually have fifty different words for snow, but they have 
50 different designations or something that indicate snow. It's it's not so much just, oh, that's this type, of, but there's something else to it. It's more complicated yeah. than that. But still, your, your point holds that because they're dealing with that on a regular basis, yeah, they're going to evolve more precise language to describe it. Yeah. yeah. You know, some of the different um, languages that we that linguists have looked at in anthropology, depending on where they live, say like you were in the rainforest and the Amazon, you know, there might be a lot more words that describe different shades of green um yeah yeah. because 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 there's so much green you know and they can look at those things and actually see the different shades but you or i would probably not be able to discern the differences even if we knew what the words were right you know because we grow up with that uh um, approach and I'm always kind of fascinated by that because it it tells you how much uh, language uh, programs are perceptions. Yeah, there's even this idea, conception uh, that apparently you know, some some scholars say that uh, in the time of the ancient Greeks they didn't see the the color blue. Mm-hmm. You know, you you, you read uh, the Homer uh, poems about the Iliad and and, and the Odyssey. There is not a, a description of the ocean the way that we will describe it, you know, the right. blue ocean. No, they, uh-huh. they describe the ocean as having the color of wine, you know. Oh, interesting. Wow. So just people say, okay, so didn't the ancient Greeks actually perceive, you know, colors the same way we did? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's possible they didn't. It's possible they didn't, yeah. But mm-hmm. let's let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Check out WhereDidTheRoadGo.com. You will find an archive of every show right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, Discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation. Go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons, because without you... This show would not be what it is. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Lemina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Illuminati, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Lindsay Jackson K, 
Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K., Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. I thank all of you for the incredible support. You're listening to Where Did the Road Go? And I'm here with Red Pill Junkie and Super Inframan, a.k.a. Saxon. <laughs> and uh, we've been talking about stuff all over the board tonight. Which yeah. is the best way to do a Wandering the Road episode, which is what this is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we were talking about language and, and things like that and, and how it affects your perceptions. Um, I, I've wondered about this sometimes in relation to high strangeness. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we say when sometimes once you have an experience, it makes it easier for you to you, you have more after that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Right. And I almost wonder if when you perceive a high strangeness event or, or whatever, it's breaking the language programming in your brain or freeing you from it some. Uh, so your perceptions aren't as defined by what you've been feeding it with language, you know, your entire life and lets you see a little bit more of what's going on beyond what your brain thinks you need to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And that's very much it. Our, our, our perceptions are based partially on what we need to survive. but even in simple forms like like my same friend who uh helped me with the bridge uh when we were putting uh lights up in the performance studio we were running them up through the ceiling and i said yeah i tried to get that one into the beam but i missed and he's like that's not a beam i'm like what do you mean it's not a beam and he's like that's a i forget what they're called like when the boards when the the when the beams go across the, the thing he gave me the proper term for it i'm like right a beam and he's like okay what's that one over there i'm like also a beam (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's right, just right. he's shaking his head. I'm like, look, to me, they're all beams. They're thick wood that I should drill things into, as opposed to the sheetrock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are professions in which they are very particular about their terminology. You right, know? right. Because he does it just. Yeah, because he yeah. does it professionally. That was, you know, those were important distinctions to him, but not to yeah. me. And yeah. plus, I had fun messing with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's always fun I, I love when you have two engineers next to each other and one of them goes well i'm an engineer and i think this and the other guy goes well i'm an engineer and i think that i'm usually like okay i'm gonna leave this conversation now <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah when, when i was mentioning the stuff from grant here like what i like is that he does dig up some really interesting stuff i mean as you, if you read through his books you're 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 guaranteed to find some fascinating stuff you've probably never seen anywhere else mm-hmm. but then he he just goes so much into trying to turn all this stuff into like making lovecraft real mm. okay and i don't know it just feels like it's forced and pl- uh, the other thing mm. the other thing he'll do is break down to you know making numerological connections between a ton of different things and mm. it'll be like two or three paragraphs of, oh, this equals this, and this equals that, and that number means this, and then this equals this, and when reversed, this number is the same as this number, and you're going, okay, all right, sure. And then at some point in this book, he says he does that for like a paragraph, and then he goes, 
just because these numbers you know match up doesn't mean anything necessarily, but it helps mm. in the practice of magic. And I went, okay, sure, you know. Um, but that that could get a, get a little bit um, old quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And and I'm trying to look for one of the rituals he talks about in here. Um, you know, like he's talking about. Uh, oh, what's her name? Cameron. She worked with. Uh, she was briefly the wife of uh, Parsons. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it says, it's worth noting in this Lovecraftian context that Cameron lived as a child in the north, northern post part of Wisconsin, which is a region associated with the Cthulhu cycle of mist through August, through August Derleth. The region contains a lake which covers a gate to the mauve zone, which is what he's... So this is interesting. So the mauve zone, I didn't catch this the first time I read this, but it's like that zone, it's that area between our reality and imagination where things are real, but not real. Oh, cool. Is it M A A B or M A U V E? Oh, mauve. Okay. Mauve. Yeah. Um, and I was looking for the actual quote in here where he talks about that, but uh, I'm trying to remember what, what that's called in, um, demonic reality. What the term he uses. Imaginal. Okay. Right. We're saying it's not just imagination. There's substance to it, but it's also not, physical reality so he calls it the yeah. mauve zone um which covers the gate to the mauve zone to which the snake cultists directed by uh, michael bertox i think resort at certain times of the year in order to invoke the deep ones hmm. so like it's interesting but it's almost like you got to take it with a grain of salt right right so, um, you know, but he's talking about these rituals and he's giving you these rich descriptions of this unbelievable stuff that's happening. And then at some point he stops and goes, I want to be clear. Uh, you know, this stuff wasn't happening in physical reality, but we were all seeing the same thing happen in this sort of like trance state. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, now this seems a little more believable. Yeah. So, and I think all of this fiction, I like it. Huh? <laughs> It's a little fan fictiony for Lovecraft. I like it. Yeah, sort of. Um, yeah. And I guess this stuff has been uh, republished, uh, so it is more mm-hmm. available now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in talk, like he's talking about uh, the word "stele" means stone. The Greek form mm-hmm. of the word uh, "c t h a h i" suggests Cthulhu, a point made in the Shanglecraft edition of the Necronomicon. Um, the stella has become associated generally with the stone commemorating the dead and the Egyptian ritual. The stele is more precisely commemorates the undead or the shade. The word also suggests stellar connection. Hence the astral shade in the Necronomicon Cthulhu is described as not dead, but dreaming. He exists at a shade as a shade at astral levels. So it's interesting. It's just, you know, like again, almost grain of, of salt ish with some of his connections and the way he, uh, you know, ad- adjusts things. Um, sure. I mean, yeah. we could talk it from a, a symbology kind of way, like maybe Cthulhu is a symbol or a metaphor for something like maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not too much into Lovecraft, but maybe you could say, well, maybe Cthulhu is, uh, a metaphor for the singularity you know there's so many there's so many people trying to bring about the singularity try to bring about uh this merge 
of man with machine, you know, try to like uh, get these uh, algorithms that are, you know, you could say they are sleeping, they are dormant because they're not truly conscious and to try to wake them up. You know, maybe that is something like almost like the rise of Cthulhu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, from, uh, yeah, then he says, uh, in Crowley's right of the, ru the star ruby, mention is made of a stone in which the six or the star of the six is fixed. This may be an indirect reference to the, wow, that's a word, hexaconothelios or 60 stone known to certain Cthulian entities described by the histographer Solinius. They dwell in remote secret places and celebrate foul mysteries on savage hills. Nothing they have in common with men save the face, and the customs of humanity are wholly strange to them, and they hate the sun. They hiss rather than speak. Their voices are harsh and not to be heard without fear. They boast a certain stone, which they call Sixty Stone, for they say that it displays sixty characters. And this stone has a secret and unspeakable name, which is IXA. X-A-A-R. And then he goes, the number of this unspeakable name is 333, which reveals its mm. connection with the Koranazonic current and which relates it directly to the Lifoth, which is the shades on the other side of the tree of life. Uh, this stone possesses a function similar to, but much greater than that of the averse pentagram, which evokes the denizens of the Lifoth. Uh, in the Mayan languages, I-X is a feminine prefix. Gerard observes that Ix enters into the names of lunar goddesses, hence the antipathy to the solar current. Furthermore, in one instance, it denotes the jaguar, which Mayan symbolism equates with the demon. Ix also enters into names for the moon in languages that have preserved their anachronisms to any major degree. Thus, we have the ideas of Ixaxaar expressed through a formal mythology, which equates them with the moon, the female, and the, Wif and the Lifoth. Crowley investigated the Kabbalistic properties of the word Cthulhu, or C-T-H-A-H-I, in 1921. In May of that year, he noted in his magical record a disturbing experience, which he describes as follows. I tried hard to resume sleep for a few minutes and was the prey of a hallucination of a most alarming kind, hearing a muffled knocking in slow cadence as if deep in the earth right under my ear. This phenomenon has been known to indicate proximity of the great old ones. Also at this period, Crowley noted that during the rituals performed that year, he and other celebrants at the Abbey heard alien voices. Maitland and I both mm. heard during the mantra to pan tonight, the voice of an other and not any of the human celebrants of the orgy. We have all... We have all of us on several occasions heard alien voices. I especially recall myself being echoed for two complete lines of the anthem. Uh, Leia once heard a voice, she told Crowley, which compares with a human voice somewhat as your magic bell does with any other bell. Several mm. of us have seen more or less physical things of various kinds, and there have been two poltergeist phenomena of a minor type. After an invocation of Hecate, Maitland saw Hecate almost as a solid figure with open eyes. She was in a black robe with a very white face and gold crown. I myself mm -hmm. getting astonishingly close to trance every time I do a new pentagram. Huh. Yeah. So like I said, it's it's definitely interesting stuff, but you see how it kind of like just weaves in and out of like Lovecraftian stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Like he he just really wants to tie all this stuff into like one net of 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 like a magical uh, other world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, there's some really interesting stuff in his books. Have either of you read his stuff at all? Not really. No, yeah. uh, I admit to actually. Uh, I have the book you're talking about, but I haven't read it. <laughs> so what is the connection between this and, I don't know, the UFO phenomenon? He just occasionally brings UFOs into the picture. Like he shows like similarities, but saying that some of these entities are what UFOs actually are. Sure. Um, okay. so, so he talks about uh, particularly lamb, which of course people have mm-hmm. compared to a gray alien being yeah, you yeah. know an extraterrestrial uh he's so in the beginning here he says with the publication of this volume the wheel has come full circle the magical revival contained a list of the names of certain entities mentioned in crowley's all l vel legis which i think was book of the law um mm-hmm. were compared with those appearing in the necronomicon which latter according to lovecraft was entirely a product of fantasy more than a decade mm-hmm. ago, in an article appearing in Man, Myth, and Magic, I suggested a common source for both of these books. The idea was taken up by various editors and compilers of grimoires, and no less than four versions of the Necronomicon have been since published. It is not, therefore, surprising that the present book touches again and further explores the affinities and identities lurking behind the shadowy masks of these two sphinxes. It also indicates some of the more pertinent researchers of ufologists who suggest, perhaps with more likelihood than that even they might care to admit, that the entities visualized by Crowley, Lovecraft, Castaneda, Birchwick, and others really do exist somewhere and at some time, and that they occasionally put in an appearance here on Earth. Mm. So he takes all that stuff and then kind of twists some of the the comparative UFO encounters type of stuff in there. Well, I mean, uh, you could say that uh, if he's using the Lovecraftian uh, mythology as a framework, you know, and, and obviously the Lovecraftian mythology is totally uh, fictitious, uh, but at the same time, you know, kind of like uh, some some so many people believe in that. You know, or so many people are interested in that, that in, in a way they are making it real. Like, for example, then the Necronomicon, you know, it's obviously it, it, Lovecraft came up with that. And it's obviously a work of fiction, but so many people were obsessed with that, that they are actually trying to come up with, you know, uh, actual books of the, uh, that they sell as the true Necronomicon, which is, which is bogus, obviously. Right, But right. reminds me of, you know, there's been in the history of ufology hoaxes that are so elaborate, are so complex, and that have been carried away or or believed by so many people that definitely get a life of their own. Like, uh, like for example, the Umo story that yeah. is not that well known in the United States, but definitely uh, had a lot of impact in Spain. And other countries back back in the 1960s and 70s, uh, and it was totally fictitious. But some, you almost feel like the fiction leaped into reality when you see that there are actual cases, like the Voronezh landing in I want to say 1991 or 1990 in Russia or, or Soviet Union back then, in which a bunch of kids in a park saw. Uh, these entities, you know, like a giant with 
three eyes. Right, right. And, and, a, and a little robot. And they actually saw the symbol yep. that was connected to these letters that were supposedly sent by these uh, explorers or visitors from the planet Umo. And it was later revealed that the whole thing was a fabrication, but this guy... Jose Luis Jordan Peña, this is, uh, was kind of like sick bastard that, that lived in Spain, <laughs> connected with a lot of weird stuff, even, you know, a sadomasochistic kind of uh, uh, manipulations. But, you know, it begs the question, why is it that this fiction ends up like infecting or being injected in what seems to be real cases, you know, what is yeah, the difference yeah, yeah. between what is the, the, the line between fiction and reality? Uh, there's something that I guess people that are comfortable with high strangeness, like we are, we are comfortable with admitting that the line is very blurry indeed. You know, yeah. there is, it is not as black and white as skeptics and also the people who are proponents of the ETH as the explanation for the UFO phenomenon would like them to think it is. Well, also, also <laughs> the fact, you know, Lovecraft's, a lot of Lovecraft's ideas came from dreams. Mm -hmm. So even though they, they were essentially fiction, they may have been picking up, he may have been picking up on something deeper and more symbolic. Yeah, he was, was tapping into something. Yeah. yeah. And even yeah. Castaneda, I mean, Castaneda has been valuable to both you and I red pill yeah, yeah yeah a lot of you know and it's been shown that that he likely wasn't uh exactly having the experiences he said he was but he clearly exactly. studied enough of the actual uh uh shamanic rites and stuff to come up with something that actually worked yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. so yeah it's it is hard and when you see like like i think it's the first time power was taken out in a car by a ufo was actually in fiction Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and yeah, then it happened and, and, in real and, life. Yeah, and I think the, the first time that the, the the idea of a UFO causing a massive blackout in a city uh, was depicted in a stage play. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah, that it was like a message to humanity. And if we yeah, wrap back, kind of if we wrap back around to the beginning of this, where people were seeing and interacting with fictional characters that they created. Yeah. It all kind of makes one nice big circle. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. even. Go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, I thought Red Pill. Just, was, I thought uh, uh, Saxon was going to oh, say. Me, okay, the, the only thing I was going to throw out there, uh, it was just something that Red Pill made me think of. But you know, you remember, I, I, I was kind of wondering how <laughs> accurate this was—the hysteria when War of the Worlds played on the radio. And yeah. uh, have you all ever listened to that? Um, I've heard it. bits of the it. The actual, no, not really. Just it, it, it's it's done in like newscasts, interrupting radio programs and things like that. You know, it's very. Right. You know, it's not like there's actors on the you know other side just acting this out uh, as a story. It plays like something really happening, and uh, that's one of those things where I'm very curious about how many people heard that and not only had panic but saw things and I, I wish we could find documentation or, or go look for it to see if it caused some, uh, you know, entities to appear for certain folks or other right. high events during the broadcast, you know, because I, right. I would assume that it probably did. That's a good yeah. question. I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably. 
And that that was not an EVP a moment ago. That was, that was me hitting the wrong thing as I was looking for something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually pretty good at not keeping any sounds on my phone, so if I accidentally hit the wrong thing, it doesn't make any noise, but apparently the volume was up. Well, I apologize. I also didn't find what I was looking for. But uh, we are out of time for right now. You guys stick around and do a Patreon? For sure. Yeah, sure. All right. So, uh, Red Pill, where can people find you? Well, they can find me at the Daily Grail, dailygrail.com. They can find out all sorts of wonderful articles written by me or, or Greg Taylor or other contributors. You can also find uh, my personal website, absurdbydesign.com, because uh, it's kind of like a gallery of the artwork that I've done over the years and, and other uh, uh, links to uh, interviews such or contributors roundtables such as this and you know i'm in the process of finishing the ufology tarot project yay <laughs> hopefully hopefully ah uh, no right. yeah. hopefully uh, you know within the next weeks we will be able to announce that it's finished and, and we'll be in the process of uh uh printing and shipping the cards and the books to our wonderful uh kickstarter backers awesome and, and Saxon, where can you be found? You know, I, I lurk around the Discord some. Uh, Instagram and Twitter these days I, I use a bit more. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for me, I'm under Super Inframan. But I also I always mention Saxon somewhere in my little bio or something like that. So <laughs> that's how you know it's me. All right. And it's usually a red robot. It is usually a red robot, yes, with big eyes and horns. <laughs> All right. Thank you both. Gracias. Yes. There is, of course, a Patreon segment with this. And uh, we continue our conversation there. And if you want to become a patron, it's only $3 a month and it helps us out greatly. It also helps if you uh, rate us highly on any podcatchers you listen to us on. And of course, share the show with your friends who you think might be interested. In case you missed it, I also put up a uh, video only podcast on our YouTube channel with the Snake Brothers. We actually recorded it back in September. Didn't get around to putting it out till uh, Black Friday, technically. And uh, it's their uh, presentation about their trip to Egypt, and it's uh, fantastic. It's also three hours long. So if you want to sit down for an interesting exploration of Egypt, there you go. As always, you can find everything Where Did the Road Go related at wheredidtheroadgo.com, and I'm going to take you out with some drama scream. This is a band from Endicott, New York. And we actually just had them play live on the last exit for the loss, my music show. And if you want to check that out, it's a weekly six and a half hour music show where we play a lot of stuff you're not going to hear elsewhere, both new and old, and uh, have some interesting conversations in between. And you can find that at thelastexit.org. Uh, you can also find the link to our performance channel. So if you like this, uh, this is Drama Scream's new song, Sham. They just did a video for it. You can find that on YouTube if you just Google it. And uh, they play it live in that performance uh, from a week or so ago. So, yeah, if you like it, go follow them. Check it out. They're a cool band. All right. And I will see you next time. Take the toll to 
listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>